Lost. Put on Cywar up. Make it loud. This is a Romeo Fox Trot. Shall we dance? You are listening to the SitRep Podcast, your source for historic wargaming with a fresh perspective. We review the latest and greatest products in wargaming, discuss rules and what-if scenarios, and we cover the news and the latest trends. This is all brought to you by your SitRep command team from around the world. Join us for another riveting conversation here on the SitRep Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the this episode of the podcast. This is our Veterans Day, Remembrance Day episode. Um, to all the veterans out there around the world, we say thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, we are thinking of all of you, um, And which is funny because everybody in the room today is a veteran. Um, so... You know, it's just part of the mix. And so, you know, real quick, if everybody could just say hello and what branch of service you served in or serving in if you're still active. And uh, Marty, why don't we start with you? Well, uh, I was uh, in the United States Army and Army Reserve as military policeman for uh, a little over 27 years. Currently retired. I didn't ever think you'd make it to that point. That's I didn't right. think you'd be long, you alive service. long enough. <laughs> well, my mom said I'd never make it to 21, so right? I figured everything after that was extra credit. So you basically did it just to prove your mom wrong. You've met my mother, right? Yes, I know your okay, mother. Okay, then, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sir James? Yes? Why don't you go? Um, I- Go ahead. I was uh, a part of Uncle Sam's misguided children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Happy uh, belated uh, Marine birthday. 245 years. Thank you very much. Right. Happy birthday to the junior service. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They do have a much better party than we do, though. Oh, much better. Those guys know how to play up a birthday. I mean, you know, usually the Army has a birthday, and it's, ooh, we had a birthday. You know, it's a little thing. You know, the Marines come out. They're all in their blues, and they've got this big birthday cake, and they have all this stuff going on. Their people know how to do it right. They do have a much better dress uniform, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. To our beloved friend over in the U.K., Gaz. (laughs) So British Army, uh, the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, as a helicopter mechanic, uh, 22 years and change. Still putting money in that meter. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Um, Our MIA, I don't know if that's a good term to use today, but we'll use it anyways because I've never been known to be PC. Um, Christopher Long up in Canada was uh, active and reserves with the Canadian Army. Uh, He was with the Seaforth Highlanders, right? Uh, The Canadian branch. Yeah. Um, so, um, wherever he is, usually he, you know, he's running around the Canadians. If he doesn't get his poutine and his flapjacks and his maple syrup, you know, before a certain hour, he's really slow. So he'll probably pop in here sooner or later. And then this is Bill, uh, U S army active reserves guard, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So, um, so that's us. So how about you guys out there? You know, uh, check in, just let us know. Cause you know, 
Uh, November 11th is what here in the United States we call Veterans Day. In the UK, it's called Remembrance Day. Um, I don't remember yeah. if it's called Remembrance Day in Canada or Veterans Day. I yep. think it's Remembrance Day. It's Remembrance Day. Okay. Yeah. Hey, one, one more thing for yeah. you. So our buddy Chris Wimmer, who does a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes work yep. with me over here, yep. uh, is a U.S. Army veteran uh, as well. And he just retired effective October 29th. That's right. So he's officially retired now and he's got, I don't know, it's weird between his reserve time and his army time. He's got like, I don't know, 45 years in. Yeah, I know. He's been, he's been literally in the military since we were what, juniors in high school, sophomores? Yeah, I can't remember. He, yeah, he signed up in the reserves at 17. Yeah, so this is for Chris. It's about time. I, again, another one who we didn't see, think we'd see getting out of his 20s alive so uh, yeah it certainly wasn't his fault no it was a lot of his fault he almost killed <laughs> no, us many times i mean us get it you know he tried really hard to kill us all but you know somehow yeah the luck of the irish if you will it was with us so all right let's change gears a little bit with some updates so um this weekend uh this sunday this is uh november 15th yes 15th yeah um there will be a live uh stream uh will not be jim on jim's gaming sundays i'll be taking the reins today just because i felt jim deserved a well-deserved break um you know i don't know if he listened to me and took a break but you know um so we will be coming up with some programming this afternoon um depending on when you're listening to this um second update there is now a radio station for this sit rep podcast. Um, you can find it on live 365. Um, we, we've put the link into our Facebook page several times. I got to jump into discord. I tried to jump into discord on my phone and it won't let me log in. So I got to do it from my computer, but so we can set up a, uh, radio station uh, button there in our discord channel but it is on live 365 it's called battle on radio and it is a 24 7 radio station i mean a literal like radio station we play music and it's all well-known uh, music and it's all licensed so we can't get dinged by it um and uh there will be some live shows and then every monday at 3 p.m central standard time uh is a replay of this show on the radio channel so tell your friends tell your neighbors um, the reason we did this is one, I've always wanted to have my own radio station and two, because we can play real music and there'll be a chance to request music and we're going to do playlists and everything. Um, it gives you something to play in the background when you're painting or hobbying or gaming, you know, whatever the case may be. And so you will have a true radio station experience, um, provided by the sit rep team. Um, you know, this, this, this one is all on me. It's totally voluntary. If anybody else wants to do it, I know Dawn, is very excited. She's going to be doing her own little um, show. We haven't figured out the exact format yet, but believe it or not, Dawn will be playing Christmas music. Believe it or not. Oh, so oh, no. so Dawn figured out how to make this 80s Harry Potter Christmas music? That I don't know if she's worked out yet. We're <laughs> Believe it or not, we are still uploading all our music library from our CDs. Uh, it's probably going to take us now until the new year to upload all those. Um you know, because we have to burn them off the CD into the computer. Um, but, I mean, we have a ton of music. Uh, it, the radio station is actually live right now in test mode. So you'll probably, if you go into it and listen to it, 
you might hear the same songs because there's only about 50 songs up right now and they're playing in an auto format so they just rotate through um they randomize but you know there's some um wings uh there's some queen there is uh santana uh there's some alan jackson um journey um a couple of so more gordon lightfoot uh you know i, I threw like in some eclectic in stuff i'm sorry what can we set up like a playlist in there, yeah. like uh, songs of the era from a yes. particular? Yes. If you uh, if war? I give you radio DJ access, Marty can have his own Marty hard rock radio station, whatever you want. So you know, we just have to. Get no, you I was thinking like we could do music from uh, from World War. World, yeah. World, World War II. Yes. I need more coffee. You know, Vietnam era. Yes. Uh, you know. Yeah, we the can set up those playlists. The nineties. Yeah, most definitely, we can set you up know. those playlists. Uh, so we have to uh, get some twins as well, just to red pen and black pen the sheets before they hand it over to the DJ, like in Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nope, can't read that news. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope. And speaking of, uh, yes, no, so we can set up a playlist, you know, like a theme playlist. So, yeah, if you're doing some Vietnam stuff, we can have, you know, music of that era on a playlist. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a true radio station software, so you can do live cuts, you know, station IDs. We are actually going to be setting up where the NPR news plays every two hours on the hour. Um, you know, something like that or BBC. I, we, there's only limited, uh, stations that have a download link that I can put in live. Um, uh, but it will automatically play every second hour on the hour. So, you know, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, there's a way for people to request music. I just got to figure out how to do it yet because it's a, a plug-in. Um, so they'll be able to, you know, because, like, we have a few people that really like some of that heavy, heavy metal stuff that I just think is a little too over the top for my, my personal taste. Um, so, you know, as long as it's an album that's licensed, we'll be able to do it. So um, we have to own the music. Um, like right now, I'm, like I said, I'm uploading our entire library and if it's something we don't have, we can download it. You know, we have to purchase it and download it and then it's licensed to air. So this, uh, is my slash Christmas gift to everybody out there. Um, you know, so you have a radio station that's your very own, uh, designed for gamers to, you know, use and have in the background when you're painting at the table and you're, you know, want something to listen to and, um, you know. And then, like I said, there are no commitments from anybody on the team other than myself unless they want to do it voluntarily. You know, this is not something we say, oh, you guys got to, you know, have a show or whatever. So that is Battle on Radio. And like I said, it's a Live 365. You'll find the link in our Facebook page. Um, I'll make sure it's updated regularly. I'll talk to Chris about that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fully customizable and all that good stuff. So, uh just, just growing our, our ways of entertaining you across the web. All right. Second one. Cool. Yeah. So the second one is uh, we did a uh, general show on Thursday night. Uh, it was pre-recorded because I am under the weather. Um, I, I don't think I have the Rona. I think it's just because I moved back from the Florida Keys, which was 84 and beautiful. And, well, we had a little tropical storm. But... Um, you know, I come back here and it's what thirty something, forty today. So I was bullshit, and uh, yeah. 
you know, windy oh, don't forget and nasty it's raining and, and windy. Yeah, really nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta go. I gotta go cover my boat because I haven't put the cover on it yet because we haven't gotten it yet. So I'm gonna throw tarps on it because I can't get water into it and then freeze because the poor baby's never been in any water, you know, or atmosphere below seventy degrees. Um, <clears throat> so, but anyway, um, totally lost track where I was going. Oh, the general show. Um, so it was pre-recorded, but we did review, um, a lot of those little expansion packets from Plastic Soldier Company and for Battle Group North Ag. Um, I did two British units. I did a Spartan Patrol and I did, uh, a British SAS. Um, and then we did a couple Soviet units. Uh, one was the Soviet 2S1 Vazika battery. It's a, a mobile Super artillery. Mobile artillery. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. It, you know, any of my people that are uh, better at Russian than I am, I apologize if I totally butchered that. And then um, I did a BDRM-2 uh, Conquer. Uh, I learned what a Conquer is. It's an anti-tank missile, uh, almost like a tow. So um, we reviewed those as well. We tried a little contrast paints on a couple of the units. Um, some of the contrast paint worked much better than others. So, you know, uh, we'll go back and look at that. Um, I did discover something that while probably 99% of the people aren't going to be disturbed by, it kind of bothers me, and that is the actual infantry pieces themselves are totally out of scale with the vehicles. Um, they are huge compared to the vehicles. So I, the vehicles are 10 mil. They have to be at least 15 mil, the in individual infantry pieces. Um, because when you look at them compared, I mean, what I did is I compared the British SAS unit uh, to the Range Rover that came with it. And the Range Rover has a driver molded into it. And you would take one of the individual infantry guys and put it next to that. And, I mean, it looks like, you know, Andre the Giant next to, um, you know, um, Tiny Tim, you know, the, the little guy. So, I mean, it's a huge difference. I, I don't. Soviet infantry carriers are quite small. Um, I didn't see the ministers you're talking about, uh -huh. but, uh, I mean, I believe you, uh, when you say that the, uh, infantry carriers are out of scale with the actual, well, uh, I mean, even the, even the, uh, like the artillery, uh, the mobile artillery, if you put an infantry guy next to that, I mean, he's almost standing to the top of the turret of the hull. Oh, no, no, that, that's not right. Yeah, no, so. uh, the, uh, the, uh, the SPGs you're talking about, the Soviet SPGs, uh -huh. they're like at least at least nine feet tall. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I, I'm not sure what the decision was with that as to why they went with the two different scales. Personally speaking, this is my personal opinion. I would have preferred the infantry to be in scale with the vehicles. Um, just because I find it more pleasing to my eye that they're in scale because, you know, um, there are other people that would say, uh, you know, this is so the infantry can stand out and they're, you know, they're just a representative. It's not a one-on-one, -on -one, I think. But if you look at the setup, take the British SAS, for example, uh, it's a Range Rover and four SAS, uh, individuals. So that would be approximately correct for that setup. Uh, you know, as far as one-to-one -one numbers, um, I don't know, I, I you know, I guess it, it, when you put it on the table, it doesn't really make it. It just seems so weird to me. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on it, if the scale with the infantry pieces makes that big of a difference when it's on a tabletop. Um, I don't think, I don't know. 
uh, once you get to certain smaller scales, uh-huh. I'd like. I do like the infantry to have recognizable parts. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. So stuff like six mil where you just got a, almost a blob of a head and a body and some sticky outfits, you might as well not bother trying too hard with the infantry. But 10 mil, I'd say, is probably similar. 15, well, Battlefront have proven that you can do good levels of detail on infantry at 15. Right. But I've never really put them next to the, the vehicles surrounding them and said... Is that right or wrong? So I'm not actually sure, you gotcha. know, how that affects that. Okay. I've never noticed it if there is a difference in scale there. So I think there's probably a limit to where you can have a scale difference before you realize it. Uh-huh. Because we, we, the most of the things we see are heroic scale once you start getting smaller. Yeah. Um, which bulks them out just for manufacturing and detail purposes because real scale would be almost impossible. And if it was, you could cough on it and it'd fall into three different pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it'd be so brittle at those sorts of scales to have a sort of a Thompson machine gun or, you know, any even a GPMG or a saw, you know, if a barrel sticking out at 10 mil, eight mil, six mil, yeah. you know, it, it's going to have to be metal to even have a chance of surviving. I, I totally agree with you. So, you know, the question came to me in my own head is, am I looking at it with the critical eye of a scale modeler versus a gamer? You know, because it's two different worlds. You know, as a scale modeler, I, everything has to be in the right scale, the right proportion. You know, everything has to look like if I take a picture of this model, you know, with the correct lighting and background, etc., you want you it's hard to tell the difference between that model and real you know the real life um, representative of that model so you know so i i love creating scale model you know dioramas sceneries where it looks as real as possible you know so it fools the eye so am i being hyperly critical uh because you know the game company the miniature company decided we're going to make the uh, infantry stands a little bigger in scale so you can see detail so they, you know, it's easier to manipulate or move or whatever the case may be. Um, so, you know, sometimes I, I wonder if I'm being hyperly critical on this and does it, you know, really affect the gameplay. I, I haven't played with them yet into, into a game um, that is on our uh, whiteboard to-do list for Marty and I and, you know, is to play a battle group game, um, you know, once we get yeah. these guys together. So we'll see, you know, obviously we'll record it or live stream it. So um, that's, you know, where we're at with that. So I'm just, you know, uh, it just. As well as, uh, one thing to keep in mind as well is most vehicles are sat on wheels or tracks uh-huh. to the ground. Right. Whereas most infantrymen are on a tab or a base. Right. That's a certain thickness already. True. Um, so that's always going to be the, something they're going to have to do as well. Um, I imagine just a tab on the bottom of a 15 mil model is probably two or three mil on its own. Yeah. Um, and when you stand it next to a vehicle, it will sit that a little bit higher. And then that normally goes on to a base as well, True. True. <laughs> which is crazy. So you're, you're probably talking four or five mil in height, a third of the, the human miniature's height is the base. Yeah. So when he's next to a vehicle, he will stand tall. I think it's like you said, proportions, when you add an example with the guy in the Land Rover. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's all good things to consider. 
Um, like I said, I'm just wondering if I'm being hypercritical on this. Um, you know, really what it comes down to is does the game play well, which we know as a battle group game, it's going to play well. Um, Jim can attest to battle group system, you know, in general. Um, it is one of his preferred game systems. Yes, Jim? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I would, I would just before Pierce corrects us in, in comments or something, um, they do like to specify that uh, – um, North Ag is like sort of based on or related to uh, Battle Group uh, for you know fans of the Battle Group system. It's not in the, it's not like the exact same game. Sure, but it's uh, yeah, it's the same company. Um, the games definitely share a lot of the same DNA. So you know, yep, yeah, perfect. Thank you, Jim. So uh, so that's that was kind of my observations from the other night. Um, like I said, some of the contrast paint worked okay some of it didn't um i had a huge issue with glue um with these uh, miniatures i don't know if i got a bad batch of some chronolite glue um i could not get it to stick at first i tried uh, plastic cement this ultra cast stuff doesn't work with uh, plastic cement so you have to use super glue so i started super glue and the stuff just wouldn't stick um so i watched the models again making sure I got any release or oils off of it. Tried it again, wouldn't stick. And, of course, I'm out of accelerator. So I figured, well, maybe, you know, I needed some accelerator. So I tried just plain water. Didn't work. I tried uh, hydrogen peroxide as an accelerator. Didn't work. I tried 70% uh, rubbing alcohol. Didn't work. I tried uh, chlorine bleach because I saw something on YouTube when I was researching a homemade recipe for accelerator. They said try chlorine. Now, he didn't specify whether that was chlorine bleach or if that was like pure chlorine, which that's bad. Just so I'm making myself clear on this one. I mean, I have pool chlorine. I could use some of that. I didn't try that because that's really strong stuff. Um, that's probably not a good call, bud. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you would have seen me on Take camera passing out. For you. <laughs> so you've seen the fire department coming in, having to vent the room, you know, because of chlorine gas, yada, yada, yada. Um, it yeah, kind of worked. What was he doing? Uh, he's trying to. Trying to glue his little guys together. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, it kind of worked, but I, I before I say there's an issue with this kind of plastic, I, I did a lot of research in the moment on if ever anybody else was having problems with gluing, and nobody really reported anything. So I'm wondering if – does Crinolite glue go bad after a while? I mean, it's been stored um, – it's probably three, four years old – but it's a brand new bottle. I mean, it's been opened, but it has not really been used. So I'm just wondering if that stuff goes bad because it just was not sticking. Um, uh, yes. I've never had anything. It will. That, it will that, go bad? That way. Yes, 100%. Okay. So on the fuels, lubricants, adhesives, and petroleum's rep at work, uh -huh. um, after a certain amount of time, things tend to – uh, the breakdown, but some of them are a long time. Don't get me wrong, right. but even our, even the glues we use and such, we've only got a certain window. Some of them are five years. Some of them are, you know, four hours, depending if it's a paint or a glue, etc. Gotcha. So there's definitely the, and I think um, it can be affected by other, other things such as the storage mechanism. If it's been in hot and then cold, it changes how the, how the materials inside have broken down or over time become less tacky. I've had super glues here, uh, GW ones, old ones that were in the little um, sort of 
toothpaste shape, yep. but they were really small and used to twist a nozzle on. Yeah. Um, all of them went dead without me opening them uh, because it wasn't my go-to. I left them for a while, and maybe a year and a half later, I went to use one when I'd run out of what I had, and uh, it was it was it was no good. It was just a tacky mess that wow. you could literally string out. Uh-huh. So good for other things, but not for actually gluing. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, we, so I, I honestly I think, learned something new because I, I honestly did not know that um, that stuff, you know, can go bad. So uh, it's good to know. stuff that can't separate. So paint separate, uh-huh. which means a lot of the time you can actually bring them back um, because just by adding the relevant sort of a lamia medium and a stirring it rather than shaking it, you will, you'll, I, the paints I currently have are now eight, nine years old. Okay. The GW ones. Uh-huh. And I don't have a dry, I don't have a single dry paint. Um, mainly because I think I I look around the edge of the, the lid and make sure it gets a good seal. So if there is any paint buildup, I just scrape it off with a toothbrush. Great. Um, and that stops the air getting to it. So I have loads of mine separated over time. But literally a touch of a touch of medium or even just a touch of water and a stir. And they, they start to thin out quite quickly. Uh-huh. Um, I just have to be aware of the odd lump, but you can often break them up with a brush as well once you've hmm. got them into a flow. You okay. said odd lump. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so those things that are already a combined item that can't break down tend to, tend to not have the same sort of shelf life. Interesting. Well, yeah, I learned something new every day. So yeah, I guess I need to order. Yeah, I've super never had glue super glue do that to to me. I've had it go bad when like uh, after it's been open. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And you know, sometimes you get on a roll and you forget to put the cap back on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, had, I've had that happen. <laughs> a do you not have times. the wire to drop in the the hole? Uh yeah, I've I've been able to. Uh, recover it if it's just in the nozzle the problem is is i left one go over a weekend and uh it turned my my super glue into just this viscous glob inside the bottle okay which was really disappointing because it was uh one of the the larger like two ounce bottles yeah. <laughs> and it was still pretty full and, well there's nine bucks i'm never getting back <laughs> but yeah. I, i've never had one uh like not, uh, not not be adhesive. Yeah, so but have you had your glue for four or five years? <laughs> uh, no, generally speaking. Yeah. So you know, they sniffed that. it all up by then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I try. I, I try to huff it faster than that. <laughs> That's why I leave, leave the lid off to get the aroma. In the room. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, the lid was off because I passed out. That's funny. <laughs> Don't judge me. Like I'm the, okay. I'm the only guy, right? It's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. There's your uh, public service announcement for today. Uh, use your glue before it goes bad. Um, you know, I always thought I'd be proud and I'd stock up on glue. And so I'd always have an extra bottle laying around and yeah, if you don't use it enough, it can go bad. So I, I will be ordering new glue and um, more accelerator. Um, so yeah, 
So I'm just looking at the one I have here in hand now. I have a. It's actually an American brand, Gorilla. Yeah, Gorilla yep. Glue. Yeah, Gorilla Glue. So yeah, I've got this in hand now. It's, it's got no information about a sort of an expiry date on the bottle itself. Uh huh. I don't know if it would have had it on the. I doubt it would even have it on the packaging because I got it through in you know type of the the cardboard with the plastic blister packaging that yep. you get. Yep. Yeah. Uh, where it's hung on a shelf, I yep. imagine. If it's anything like the stuff we get, the main expiry dates are on the what would the box, rather than the each individual item. Gotcha. So, um, mm-hmm. how do you like the gorilla? I have not used the gorilla super glue. I've only used the box. I love it. It's, my, it's become my go-to. Has it really? What What uh, is it about yeah. that you like? It smells really nice. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> goes down smooth (laughs) (laughs) it burns my nasal hair so i don't have to pluck them no um, (laughs) it'll stick Um, anything yeah it's so i quite like the fact that it's you sort of have to shake it to get an amount into the nozzle okay so it naturally sits in the bottle rather than in the nozzle so i've i've not had to use normally i drop a pin in Uh uh, be it a paper clip unfolded or something thinner like a piece of wire uh, to keep them from sealing Uh, i've not had the problem with this the lid itself actually comes with a small sort of uh, pin assembly okay. as well. So when you've screwed it fully down, that pin assembly just takes any excess from the tip of the nozzle, which is nice. The, to be honest, it's just good value for money here. Um, I get a decent amount for a couple of quid, and it lasts me a, a good amount of time. And um, it's it's not got the most accurate nozzle, but I think there's loads of variations. So you, if you wanted something for six mil or 15 mil, you could do that. The one I've got currently is mainly for a larger nozzle that will work well with 28 mil stuff. So okay. that's what I've been mainly doing. So, and normally if I need anything small, I just shake a bit out, put it onto a piece of tissue and then uh, use a toothpick to put it on instead. Right. Yeah. That's what I do so, with mine. Mine's the same way. It's, it's got a pretty big nozzle on it. And if you're trying to do some detail work, it's not good. Don't you wish Marty. <laughs> my glue, my glue. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but uh no it's um yeah it's become like i say it's easy to get it's it's in a lot of stores over here so i know what i'm getting every time i get it uh-huh. uh it's like your favorite fast food or hotel place that you go once you know that it's consistent and it's always the same wherever you are you tend to stick with it gotcha excellent um jim do you have a preference in super glue or use whatever available um, What's your I favorite use, flavor? Uh, I, my favorite flavor. <laughs> uh, we actually had this conversation rather unironically with paint one time. Uh-huh. It's like, are you a person that that, you know, that like licks your paintbrush or not? I, I'm like, I uh, like my paintbrush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm me. like, you know what? Soviet Soviet brown has a nice cinnamon flavor. German gray is kind of bland. <laughs> American American khaki has like that nice after dinner olive kind of a tang to it. You know, it's very nice. Oh, oh, I have to pick God. some of that up. Uh, what is what is the uh, guy's uh, the person's name that gets that certification in wine? Uh, Somalier. Uh, so we now have Jim, the Somalier of paints. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Go ahead, uh, Jim. As far I'm sorry. as paint goes, I just go with uh, I just go. Uh, I think I think they call it Loctite. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't have a bottle here in front of me, and I don't want to go because I'll, I'll lose reception on my headphones here. Um, basically anything with a lot of gel to it. Um, 
it, like that really runny super glue, it comes out of the bottle like actually liquid. I can't stand that stuff. So number one, it gets everywhere. Number two, I can never get it to stick. So um, I like this stuff with a lot of gel to it. Uh-huh. Uh, that way I don't have to use activator. I don't have to mess around with any of this other stuff. You do have to be very careful with it because it will glob up very yeah. quickly. Like if you're working on something small. So what I'll do sometimes is like put a little bit on a scrap sheet of paper and then use a toothpick to get very precise with it. Uh-huh. Um, actually don't put them together right away. Like put the glue on both, on both pieces and like let them sit there for, you know, 60 seconds. That's almost like activator. Yeah. Yeah. Pack uh, up then, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's super cheap. It's, in, it's always at Michael's craft store. They always have a bunch of it. You know, I just buy like half a dozen bottles at a time and it has that cool little twist top on the top that never, the top never actually comes off the actual bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, it just like kind of, you know, it has like almost like two settings open and closed. So yeah. you, you can't, you know, leave the top off. Yeah. Kind of like and, a white glue bottle, uh, like an Elmer's yep. glue bottle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Go so ahead. anyway, that's the, uh, that's the kind of paint I use. Or um, not paint, uh, glue. That's the kind of paint I use. Excellent. Is there Jim, a certain vintage yeah. that you enjoy there? No. Here we go. <laughs> it turns out it's better fresh. Yes. Yes. It's like beer. You got to get it when it's fresh, yeah. not aged. Yeah. So, um, I, I, only, I only use gel now as well. Do you? Uh, I don't I, use, um, yeah, I was going to say, so that brings up a question, uh, which, uh, Bill, when you and I were building the table for 13 hours, yeah. Uh, I had picked up a bottle that I did not know was the oh, super, the super thin, thin stuff. Yeah, yeah. And wow, that, that was tragically messy. Yes. So what do people use the super thin super glue for? Cause I, I don't, I haven't really come across a need to have something that running. Is uh, there a, is there a, is there a dedicated purpose? For large flat surfaces, uh, because it won't give you, it will give you a, a tighter, a tight, yeah, tighter try to fit between the two. Yeah. yeah. So, sort of building wall to building wall and corner pieces. If you had a forty-five degree cut, I'd probably use the super thin to run down the center of it, uh, so the excess would then push towards the edges without showing at the edges. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, right. I yeah, also use sense. it um, in um, models per se, where uh, you know it's a tight fit and it's it's a really uh, awkward angle or something, and there might be a little bit of a gap. So I'll, I'll let a bead of that run into it to create a better seal. Um, it has its purposes. You know, it, it, you know, when you're trying to glue something together on a weird angle and so, you want to make sure so it's it kind of like right. using it as a, uh, as the liquid, uh, plastic glue. Cause yeah. I use that on plastic models all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing I use it for gels a little more expensive than the super thin stuff. So on larger projects, uh, like walkers for say dusk, uh, dusk nineteen forty seven, or or large scale tanks, I run a edge of uh, gel, and then fill the center with the super thin. Right for two large for two large surfaces. So I'm not using gel over the whole surface, yeah. but I trap so I can control where the thin stuff goes with the gel. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. I think I've just been using regular plastic, liquid plastic glue for that stuff for the most part. Honestly, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense that uh, that would be a, a use for it. Now, now let's just say it. I um, I like to use super glue all the time, even on plastics, so that if I drop and break it, the bond is a smooth, clean break because obviously plastic glue generally melts the plastic to yeah. each other. 
So it'll generally break the model component rather than break apart the model. Exactly. Uh, I use, um, when I paint a lot of the models for the stream and such, I glue resin models to a plastic base with super glue. And then after I just literally snap it off. I, I try to use accelerator as well because uh, it crystallizes faster. So the bond is weaker. Um, and therefore it's easier for me to break away and then put onto a themed base so I can paint the base separately, but have it on a base while I'm painting the miniature, snap it off the, the cheap base, whatever that is, and then put it onto its theme base. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you're doing that, do you literally just take it out of the paint handle and crack it off the base or do you like yeah first or no i just run a scalpel blade i normally leave uh, a toe on each side or a heel uh, that's not glued so i just glue the front or the rear of the foot to the to the base then i've got leverage to slide in a blade gotcha Um, a lot of people drill the feet and cork if i'm pinning it to a resin base i'll just drill it and put it in a cork and paint it Sure. Yeah, uh, and then I stick them to a coin. <laughs> so I've got some weight, and then put that into the to the holder, so I can comfortably hold it for painting. But uh, generally, yeah, I leave the toes or the heels uh, unglued, uh, so that I can get the blade that far. And once I'm that far, it's very easy just to to go the rest of the way because the bond is not that great. Gotcha. There you go. More words of wisdom from Gaz. There you go. That and cut fingers. so yep there there you go there's your little uh segment on glue um anything let's you know what let's segue over to comments uh we've gotten several comments from our peeps and i thought we'd bring that up and address some of their comments uh we had a comment from piorter uh one of our Diehard fans, and uh, he was commenting related to the posts on Battle on Radio, and he said, yay, only available in the U.S. and Canada. Um, I looked into it and just want to let you know, in the standard format, it's because of licensing of the music, but I have, I don't know how I say this, but uh, on the Internet, uh, there are workarounds, so you can listen to it worldwide, um, and I will send you a private message um, letting you know how you can do that. So it's legal, I guess. I'm not making anything illegal, but there are legal ways where people in other countries can listen to the radio station. It comes down to licensing with the music, um, but there, I guess there's other ways of doing it. So um, that's it's for, just the technique. It's just the technique. And then <laughs> yeah. we had uh, Robert Dunn, who made a comment on some goofy guy's post about pirate ships. Um, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, he said he be, enjoys. Be nice. I'm painting my French commander as we talk. I mean, the the ship looks good, Marty. Uh, you did a good Thank job you. on the sails. Did you do that, or Thank you. they come that way? Yeah. Oh, you did that. No, so it, uh, yeah, they don't come with sails. Uh, uh-huh. There's a uh, a template you can download. Uh-huh. Um, so I used the template and then I modified it with the. I cut out the little half moon at the bottom of the sails to, you know, kind of give the illusion that the sails billowing. But yeah, that's just white craft foam that I that Very I nice. uh, hit with the wash. It looks good. It looks really good. Thanks. So, uh, did Thank you burn you. the packages too on that edging for the other picture there, or is that how it comes? It looks like you did. Oh no, that's no that that's how it comes oh, okay. uh, for the 
with the picture of the guys with yeah. uh yeah, yeah no that's the insert in the blister pack oh and it comes that's, that way okay yeah very cool i thought you were like getting overly martha stewart and we're doing that no <laughs> no 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 that that takes away from my glue huffing time all right so yeah. robert dunn enjoys um, a little I'm bit of blood and plunder. It. it makes for the fire brigade after <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and then uh our friend tom on the post regarding uh, PSC's uh, new Waffen SS Grenadiers platoon from forty four forty five, asked, "Will they be doing modern Russians?" Uh, we don't know. They do fifteen millimeter Russians. I don't know if they'll do twenty. Twenty is what one seventy second scale, Jim. Yep. Okay. So there's a lot of companies out there that do one seventy second scale. Um, I just don't know. I, and- that's one scale I don't do personally. Sure. So Tom, uh, Tom runs a, a wargaming club out here by us. Actually, it's in Homer Glen. Not that that means anything to anyone other than me and Bill. Uh, but uh, in the Chicago uh, uh, South Suburbs. And uh, he sent me a picture of, uh, of his collection. Tom, uh-huh. you don't need any more stuff, buddy. Dude, <laughs> your, your, your wife is going to kill you. Wait a minute. <laughs> we promote this hobby. We don't promote restraint. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying. Have you like seen my house? Figures. Have you seen my house? It's, your basement does not hold a candle to what he's got in his. That sounds like I'm a challenge. Serious. To be fair, Master Bells is boxed upstairs. Still. That's true. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, okay, you got me on that one. <laughs> and, and that's not good either. <laughs> <laughs> say PSC makes pretty good modern Soviets and PSC uh, tends to start with one to 72 and then kind of work their way outward from yeah. there. Um, and uh, Caesar miniatures. Uh, I have a lot of one to 72, 20 millimeter Caesars for my moderns. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have any modern Soviets. Uh, you? Not, not one to 72. It's they're all in um, 15. They're all in 15. Yeah, my modern stuff is not actually Soviets. It's either Ukrainian militia or U.S. Marines or Iraqis or something like that. Um, now, the thing with Caesar miniatures, uh, the plastic is extremely soft. They're really, really reasonably priced. 1 to 72, very, very highly detailed miniatures, like true scale. Like the weapons aren't like that. We were talking about this in a previous episode. Where you know, like the weapons look like you know everyone's carrying around a freaking ten gauge shotgun because the barrels yeah. have to be you know big enough to um, you know mold properly or whatever. Um, that's all fine. Uh, Caesar Miniatures does it right, but the plastic's very soft, and because those barrels are so thin, mm-hmm. um, the plastic is very bendy. So warm up that 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 pot of hot water to uh, you know sort of bend a lot of your miniatures back into place. But like forty or forty five miniatures will cost you like ten bucks. Um, they're like a quarter a piece. So they're super, you know, and you do have to base them yourself. So that's a little annoying. Um, but other than that, yeah, uh, there are places if you want, you, you can get uh, 20 millimeter uh, modern, you know, I say modern Soviets, modern Russians or Cold War Soviets. All right. So there you go. There's a starting point for you guys. Uh, next one is Rubicon Models posted a thing about uh, they're making Vietnam miniatures. Um they look interesting. Uh, all they are is 3D renderings at this point. And Andrew uh, posted on it. It would be interesting to see how they scale up against others. I agree. Um, looking at them, 
Jim, to your point, they look real scale. I mean, the weapons are in the right, you know, they're not overly obnoxious or anything like that. So, um, yeah. They're not like super heroic no, scale? No, They look to be in the right scale. They look good. The de- Again, we're looking at 3D renderings at this point, and it's hard when you look at a 3D rendering to go, yeah, that's right, because, you know, I've... I'm not going to call anybody out, but I've seen a few Kickstarters where they've done 3D renderings, and then when you see the actual model, you're like, what the f-? Uh Yeah, that doesn't look right at all. So <laughs> I've been bamboozled. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, think, I think Rubicon have also been releasing some Italian uh, vehicles. Uh, we put it up onto the Facebook page the other day. Uh, I think what was it up there? There's um, you can build like a M13, M40 medium tank. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, commando yep. command tank. Yeah. Uh, and there was a um, uh, 75, 18 self-propelled gun as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're definitely. What I like about they do them in waves, so you can sort of go backwards and catch up. So I think they're they're up to sort of only wave two of this year, but due to circumstances, that's not unexpected. Yeah. Great. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they, they do some lovely kits. Yes, definitely, uh, definitely uh, a, a big troublemaker when it comes to your plastic crack pile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> our good friend Alex over at Full Battle Ra- Full Battle Rattle Miniatures uh, has a full restock of all his Canadian miniatures. If you have not seen his stuff or have not gotten your hands on, you need to, um, especially if you're looking for you know a non quote unquote mainstream uh, military. Because you know he does Canadians mostly, um, and he does do some Afghans as well, and they look really good. Um, White Dragon Miniatures is another one. Gaz uh, got me hooked on those. He brought me some his last visit, and they are amazing. Um, so um, Full Battle Rattles is um, fully restocked, and they have an LAV3 kit coming in soon. So keep a look on for uh, that. I got a message from White Dragon because I, I went to pick up some of the British troops to do uh, with Laughing Boy. Actually, he's going to do the Taliban. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, they were out of stock on the some of the variations, but they've just come back in stock for what I believe is the Scrim and the Para Helmets, I think, are the two that have just come back in stock. So I'm going to pick up a set of them to do as, uh, to do some battle space. Yes. Nice. Uh, nice. Salter's game, if you've not checked that out. I know Marty's a big fan of it. Um, I right. want to give it a go. So I did ask you, Marty, how many bad guys could I possibly need? And due to your poor rolling skills, oh, it was like a lot more than I thought. <laughs> I got my the second game of Battle Space that I played. I think I had 24 or 26 bad guys uh, on the table at the, the same time versus my four-man team. It was it was bad. It did that's how I know the game is good because I was screaming at the game that I was playing by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I lost that one, by the way, that <laughs> there was no, no, no recovering from the amount of dudes that came out to, uh, take advantage of my misfortune with the dice. <laughs> but looking to do that uh, with one of my friends who's going to pick up the Taliban, Laughing Boy is going to get set as well. Um, but looking to scale it up a little. So it'll be um, two four-man fire sections. Uh, I'm going to pick up the Mastiff as their vehicle that brought them in. There you they go. They carry eight troopers. They do a really nice Mastiff at White Dragon as well with the full cage set up for RPGs. Uh, saw a lot in Afghan. Um so yeah, we're going to be rolling that down a main sh- 
a D-bus either side, and it'll be like a double compound sweep. So anything that crosses the road, bad guy-wise, will get lit up, uh, and we just have to basically sweep through the town. Hoping to build that over the next two or three months and have it up and running after Christmas and maybe get my friend Mark down and do a video. Nice. There you go. Very nice. So, um, yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, sorry. Um, I Another update, uh, Quartermaster 3D. Uh, it's a company I've not heard of before. Um, they have a Kickstarter coming soon for Jim. This should be near and dear to your heart. Um, mm-hmm. Iraq USMC. So, um, they look good. Uh, they are going to be, uh, next project is USMC in Iraq, um, for their next Kickstarter, possibly a whole platoon. Uh, I just sent them a message saying, you know, send us more info and we'll talk about it some more. They look really good. Um, so far, again, we're looking at 3d renders. Um, so you know, if you're looking for some Iraqi war type, I don't know if this is first Gulf War or when what the time frame is. I'm looking at these. These look uh, first-ish. I don't know, Marty. Maybe you can look at them and tell me what you think as well. Are they like M16A2s or M4s? That's probably the fastest right. one to tell. That's a good question. It's, no, it's hard to tell. Me... You know, by looking at uh, these. Looking it, back. They've done the previous uh, Kickstarter as well, which is good. I think they've done two looking at this. Okay. So uh, that's that's nice. Gives you a little warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. It's not that it's rodeo. Yeah. So by the look of the kit, I'm going to go with uh, first uh, Gulf War uh, because they're still using butt sacks on um, LBEs. Okay. Um. That could go. That could kind of go either either way. Yeah. Ba- just based off my observation, especially at the beginning of the uh, that's true of the war. That's true. Two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah. But their weapon systems will will really be what tells on them. Well, if you look look uh, at it, it's yeah. hard to tell if it's actually. An, to me, it looks like an M sixteen. I don't think it's an M four because it's it's a standard plastic buttstock. Uh, I'm looking at the two hundred three. It's a two hundred three. You know, but the barrel's a little on the short side, but I think that's what they were going for was an A2 because the rounded hand grip, uh, barrel guard. Right. So I'm going to go with, yeah, those are A2s. And then it's, it's probably, uh, yeah, it's probably 91. Maybe it's 03, yeah. you know, the first big push. Yeah. Um, like Marty was saying. Yeah. Another, another hint might be if there's any optics on the helmets. No optics um, on the helmets. Or, or, or optics on the... Uh... Well, there's the an weapon, optic on, on some the of the um, weapons, but... All right, so... Go ahead. So, if you look at the guy's body armor... Yeah. So, he's got... That, that's more modern body armor. I mean, he's got uh, he's got a nut flap down and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. that would tell me that this is more current era. Mm-hmm. I think I've scrolled down the page too far. I'm on a ballista. As, as well as he's got an ACOG <laughs> on his... His, yeah, uh, Melissa is definitely not first goal for I think I may have gone back in time too far. <laughs> yeah, so once you upgrade for Iraq was uh, very quick and right before you left. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I would say that this is a uh, more of a, a current era, probably uh, early war. So 2003, uh, 2004-ish. It, yeah. 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 Three, four, five. Yeah. So good for Fallujah, then. Um, 
Yeah. That'd be good for Fallujah. Then Marines were heavily involved in Fallujah. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, Jim. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because these are all, it looks like they're all carrying A2s and then. Like there's one guy that's got a carrying handle on it on it still, and the rest of them look like they've got ACOGs mounted. So yeah. definitely not 91. No, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you, yeah, you're right. The weapons, you're right. the weapons would be the would be the main would be the main. Uh, yeah. hint. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, it looks like 2003, 2005. So yeah, or, or, earlier. Uh, and we got to remember the Marines are always a little behind on equipment issue. You know. It seems like the Army gets the new shit quick, and then the Marines, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, unfortunately I'm going to go with, uh, seem to have to play catch-up a little bit. So it seems like. Well, that they just held on to that A2 forever. The Marines wanted the A2, I think. Yeah. You know, that they thought that, you know, having the, <coughs> excuse me, having the larger rifle would, uh, you know, uh, increase their marksmanship abilities, which – you know, especially if you're shooting off of iron sights, I wouldn't argue with that. But, you know, between me carrying an, an, uh, an A2 in uh, 03 and 04 and me carrying an M4 for all my other deployments, uh-huh. I'll take the M4. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, I've never carried an M4. M4 is way after my time. And the M, the A2 was definitely not a heavy rifle. You know, seven point nine pounds before you you know unloaded or whatever. No sling, no magazine. You know, it's not a, it's not, it's not like you know the old M fourteen. You ever pick no, up an old M fourteen or an M four Durand? No, but like, the, but after but a while, M- when you're carrying, you're rocking with it, 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 it's heavy. You know, so there's definitely well, a difference. My my biggest thing is the M, uh, not so much the weight, but the uh, the, the overall length. Yeah. You know, an M4, an M4 with the stock collapsed is uh-huh. like eight inches shorter. And if you're in a vehicle on a regular basis, true. that oh, makes yeah. your life a lot easier. Certainly. Yeah. That is true. That is true. You know, and, and, you know, as an MP, <laughs> I didn't walk anywhere. Marty, if I, I recall, drew. most of your military career, you didn't walk anywhere because you were a that track engineer the, vehicle. Yep. That was the entire point of my, I didn't even have a <laughs> rifle then. <laughs> That was the that was the point of all my assignments. You know, I don't care what I did, but I'm not walking to war. Uh, that's funny as shit. Spent some time with uh, Weapons Training Battalion at, uh, at actually both MCRD uh, Paris Island and uh, San Diego. Now this is you know twenty thirty years ago, so you know take that with a grain of salt. Um, as much as the Marine Corps is really into its, its marksmanship program, you guys were talking about before, uh-huh. even when I was an 18-year-old kid, I literally turned 18 during rifle qual uh, when the wall came down back in 89, giving away my age here. But it, I was like, this isn't the way, you know, I mean, I understand they want you to, to, you know, the point of Marine marksmanship training, at least at the, at the very early levels, and again, this is 20, 25 years ago, Um I think it's to kind of teach you like how to use the weapon and how to respect the weapon because I mean, it's like you put on a shooting jacket, you sit out in the sun, you take off the sling, you like sling your arm like through this little loop when you take it off and like yep, you yep. set up like, like it's more like a hunting competition. It's like, it, can you drill that bucket, you know, 500 yards or whatever. I'm well, like, and and uh, Jim, do you remember snapping in? Oh yeah. yeah but that, that was that was something that that was a new concept for me when I was uh, when I was stationed in Hawaii. Uh, we went over to uh, 
uh, our, the local Marines and went through their uh, marksmanship program. And that was totally different than what we had done in the Army. Yeah, yeah. I, saw, I mean, I remember being 18 years old in, in, you know, late 1989 going, this isn't how warfare works. I mean, I understand that they're teaching you how to work the weapon and adjust your sights and, you know, be safe. You know, don't shoot yourself through the hand and, you know, everything else. But at the same time, I'm like, I get five minutes to try and put five rounds. I mean, this isn't like sniper training, you know, right. through a stationary target at 500 meters away, uh, you know. Um, and then later on, we had like some some what they call like like line training where it's like you know much more it's almost like police training where it's like you have to maneuver through this very short little obstacle course and hit certain targets and not others and you have like 10 seconds and you know stuff like that but the primary training was i mean i was okay with it i I certainly you know i didn't have any authority for god knows but then later i actually got stationed back on paris island as permanent personnel um after after gulf one and um i wound up at a weapons battalion of course i was in supply uh, but because I like, you know, every time I went to the range, every year you have to go back and recall. I qualified expert on the E2. When they uh, would needed coaches, they would reach out to like people in other shops. Now, not a, not a PMI, not a primary marksmanship instructor. You know, the coach is just there to pretty much take you onto the line as a you know as a shooter, and you know, make sure you don't shoot yourself in the face. You know, police up all the brass afterwards. Pretty much keep the line going. Um. But yeah, like the little marksmanship books, you would plot your shot, and the, yeah, yeah the, the little guy with the little white paddle and the little black paddle, like waving over the target. I'm uh-huh. like, oh man, yeah, no distance range. Although, oh, yeah. you know, it it did teach me how to bring out the maximum effectiveness of that that weapon system because the army does not go into nearly that much detail on, uh, you know, how how to engage a, a a target, especially at distance. So that that was a great uh, uh, course for for me as a young trooper. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I yeah. So you were talking about like the Marines were holding on to the A two because you know they liked it and because you know like they had so much of their uh, marksmanship training uh, program kind of baked into that weapon. I don't think you could you know run the usual or what was at the time. I don't even know what the hell it is nowadays, but at the time it was a 200, 300, 500 meter um, sort of a you know, course for basic, you know, Marine marksmanship training. I don't think you can even do that with an M4 because, you know, I don't know. I've never actually, you know, used the M4. You, you can. You can you can still reach out 500 yards with it. You know, I mean, it's got a little, if you're on iron sights, it's got a little uh, shorter sight radius, obviously. Uh, the trajectory is different. Uh, uses a, a heavier bullet. Uh, than the old uh, A2s do, or at least it prefers a heavier bullet, and that's what we're issued these days. But uh, like, I'm still in. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's in, you're still, always uh, in. It but... still uses 556, though, right? Or did they ever make yeah. the switch to the to the no, 6.8? They, no, they they just beefed up the bullet from okay. uh, heavier green. Heavier green. It, yeah, right. yeah, they went from like a 55 green bullet to a 62 green bullet. So it's just a little, the round itself is a little heavier as well as uh, they've got other rounds that are uh, designed to penetrate a little better. Yeah, weight on that, on, and punching power on that 223 Remington was always an issue. They were always, you know, complaining about that. 
I don't know if you guys remember it, but in 2004 or five, you know, right, we're talking about Fallujah before, there was that big push to either the 680 SPC, special, uh, special purpose cartridge, or the, uh, the 6.8 millimeter Grendel round. They were talking about, look, we're not going back to the old 762 full metal jacket, but we're not, this 556 nonsense is, is too light. We need to find something in the middle. Well, uh, and they're, they're still looking at that stuff yeah. for, uh, yeah. um, Squad weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they, uh, was it, uh, it's not, it was it SIG that just got approved for a test weapon for squad? I think it was SIG. I just saw red news that they were looking at a, uh, one of SIG's squad weapons as an approval for uh, further testing. So. Uh, I think so, because they've already got the contract for handguns. Yeah. So that, that wouldn't make sense that yeah. since they're already in the system. Yeah. For squad weapons, you're talking about uh, replacing the 240 or yeah. the 249? Or? Yeah. Okay. Wow. 240, 249 yeah, is 249. what they're looking at, uh, replacing and beefing that up a little bit, giving it oh, more. Man, you can't mess around with my saw, man. Come on. <laughs> well, you know. Jim you're, Jim, you're looking at this all wrong. What that means is when they replace it, they'll all become available. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, the only thing I didn't like about the saw was when the day was done, you had to take that freaking thing back to the armory. It was like, because holy crap, the thing's got a lot of parts, and you're going to be there cleaning that thing. Before our armories would, would accept it back, you'd be there for three or four hours, man, trying to yeah. get that thing ready to turn back in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. That's why you I like know, the I was, fine. I was find that quite therapeutic, if I'm honest. Cleaning, cleaning the weapon after firing. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that part of it. More so when I'm in a warm, dry place. But even <laughs> even when I'm not, chucking out a poncho, uh, getting something dry on the ground underneath it and breaking down my weapon and cleaning it's kind of a, sort of something I've always enjoyed. Even down to uh, on exercises, I carry the old uh, shaving brush. Mm-hmm. Uh, get into the, a spare pair of gas parts in case I needed a fast change out. Uh, to carry on firing and yeah, I don't know. I always, I always enjoyed it at the end of it because we don't get to fire that much in my trade. Um, we're not a priority for marksmanship or, or range packages, so it's uh, I enjoy shooting and afterwards I always enjoy that part of it as well. Oh well, but come on over between Bill and I. We, <laughs> we got all sorts of yeah, I, got, I haven't cleaned my guns in a while and. Uh... They need they need a nice you know if you want a therapeutic. Uh, I mean, I, uh, do your guys do the drop test through the barrels and stuff? Mm. So when you hand a weapon in at the armory, uh, our armory, uh, your barrel assembly goes to the armorer and he drops a weight through it. And if it gets restricted at any point, you clean it from scratch again and stuff like that. You drop a weight through it. Yeah. So there's it's like yeah, a, it's a it's a gauge. I'm sure. It's uh, a, yeah. But which. Uh, no, we no. well. Mm-mm. So our armors, uh, that level of maintenance isn't performed at our unit level, so they don't okay. have that tool. <laughs> uh, so, so that particular trick doesn't get u- used against us. But most of them uh, just uh, like for a uh, an M4 or an M16A2, they'll just shotgun it, pull the bolt carrier group out and stare down the barrel and then uh, give it back to you without actually looking at anything and right. say your shit's dirty. Yeah, right. yeah I, say, well, I mean, the worst yeah. I've seen is they <laughs> run a trying, trying, to the, the trying to turn it back into the Marine armor was like, 
Dude, that that weapon's got to be cherry, man. I mean, you might as well just go out so and buy like a new one. So it's like returning your TA fifty. What do you mean it's dirty? Oh I God. got it dirty. You know, it's still in the package you issued it to me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Well, yeah, you can't have it in the plastic. <laughs> you take it out of the plastic, and then they're like, oh, "It's dirty." <laughs> it came in contact with oxygen. It's, it's filthy. Do it over. So my, my technique for weapons cleaning, I, w- I was the guy that uh, did the reverse psychology. You know, everyone's upset that the armor is keeping them there. Me, I, I'd go find a place, uh, put on my headphones, get get my get my uh, my snacks and my coffee, and I would be there for the next twelve hours. <laughs> I would just take my time. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make you wait. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't, you can't lock up the arms room, and you can't leave until I turn this weapon back in. That's also true. Yeah. Ev- eventually, they get motivated to accept that weapon. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, yeah, for us, it was like usually like after either range or just you know, we never did anything serious because again, you know, thirty forty three supply. I mean, you know, uh, like a friend of mine used to say on on tabletop, I was so far in the rear, I'd have to send my laundry up to the front. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> to get cleaned or whatever. Um, so again, the kind of like guys was saying, you know, we weren't out in the, you know, with actual weapons like very, very often, but when we were, man, we were like over it. And by that point, we're used to working in air conditioning, drinking coffee. And we, we, we live on that same base. So Friday afternoon is like Liberty time, man. You know, it's, it's time for the first beer down range. Don't keep me in this friggin' armory, man. I got shit to do, man. You know, old girls waiting on my call. I got beer in the fridge, you know, and I'm sitting here, you know, finger fucking around with this goddamn, you know, weapon from, I'm tired. I want to go home. They're like, nope. Cause they don't want to accept it. Cause number one, it's their job to keep it uh, maintained. And number two, if, if you don't do it, that means they do. And they, at, at our depot, they had like 45,000 M16s locked up in this big brick fortress. Um, there's no way they're cleaning these things. So yeah, they got really serious about, uh, you know, turning the weapon back in. Now they did have these great big tubs. Um, you can like put your dog tag through your bolt carrier group or whatever and throw it in this tub of, I don't even know what the hell it was. It was dry like, cleaning solvent. Well, it, it was, it wasn't CLP, but it was something else. And they're like, don't put your hand in there without this glove on, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah it literally it's dry cleaning solvent. It's uh, a DS2. Oof, uh, I, same stuff they clean parts with. Yeah. Like, you you uh, take, you, you the, take your bolt carrier group. Tank. You take your bolt carrier group out of there, and it was like that nice shiny silver again. I was like, wow, like without even scrubbing it or whatever. So, I mean, I'm complaining about it, but it wasn't that bad, you know. People in the military put up with a lot worse. God knows. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Wow, well, we're all in memories today, aren't we? Well, right, it is right. our Veterans Day special, so that's, <laughs> well, that's what we do. Yeah, we're all we're all hopping back to to experiences of the past. True that. Yeah. But, uh, the thing I used to get my goat was I'd clean it to leave ops and then they'd stick it in the dirtiest, shittiest, <laughs> sandiest weapon bundle you've ever fucking seen in your life. <laughs> and I'd know I'd have to clean it pretty much from scratch again by the time it got home. <laughs> Damn it. Just break me. <laughs> you know, Jim, you were talking about the, uh, you know, supply guy and you didn't, uh, you know, you, you weren't the, weren't the priority. You didn't get to, to shoot a whole lot and whatnot. My my last deployment to Afghanistan, there was an MP unit that was uh, co-located with a uh, Afghan police uh, unit, which uh, like a company size uh, right. Afghan police unit. And so uh, and it was a platoon of uh, 
of M- MPs, US MPs out there. Uh, it was from the 303rd MP company out of uh, Jackson, Michigan, actually, some reservists. And uh, three or four uh, Afghans, either uh, police that had turned bad or uh, Afghans that were dressed as police to get past the guards, got in and started uh, shooting up the, the tents where the Americans lived at like 4.30 in the morning. The two people that were up were the cook and the supply sergeant. And they and and they burned those motherfuckers down. <laughs> I, I'm uh, gonna tell you, dude, everybody needs to know how to shoot, and those oh, yeah. did it. They oh, took yeah. care of business. I, I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't know if it's still like this now, but uh, I was in during um, Alan Gray's uh, term as commandant of the Marine Corps, and he was an old. The guy before was, I think, P.X. Kelly. He was an old air wing uh, Marine. But the guy that I was in for, as far as, you know, the top officer in the Marine Corps was, yeah, A.M. Gray. And this guy did not play around, man. Um, he's an old, oh, you know, 0311. I think he had a rifle company in Vietnam back in the day. Whoa. Yeah. And he was like, every Marine is a rifleman first. And, yeah, that's when they had, like, every, I don't care. You know, everyone goes to recruit training. And even if you're not in infantry or a combat MOS, you're still going to infantry school afterwards. So all together, our boot camp was like 20 weeks. You know, it was, you know, the regular, like, like I think the Army's boot camp back then was uh, eight weeks. Ours was 13. And then you went through like uh, 10 weeks of, uh, or eight or 10 weeks of infantry school. I can't remember what. Um, yeah, and ours was like five weeks long, I think. Yeah, it was, they didn't bust around. Of course, that was good because, you know, right after I joined, like I was in infantry school when, uh, uh, when uh, Just Cause hit in Panama, we were getting ready to, you know, we used to have to get up for breakfast at like four in the morning, not because we had a full training day, we had a full training day, but not because we, the entire sixth regiment would eat breakfast before us. So we would be standing out there in the pitch darkness at like, like zero, four 30 in the morning waiting to eat, you know, and then one morning, like maybe 10 days before Christmas, uh, everyone's talking about going on their Christmas 96 or whatever, get up form up outside the barracks, march down to, uh, it was Camp Geiger, Camp Geiger, uh, you know, mess hall, right? One of the mess halls on Camp Geiger. And we just walked right in like, where the hell is sixth regiment? There's usually like literally 3000 guys in front of us for breakfast. And as we're walking in, we pass those little, uh, steel boxes where they sell newspapers out of, you know, you put a quarter in the door opens yeah. up or whatever. And uh, yeah, there it was operation just cause, you know, Panama. Like, well, I guess we know where sixth regiment went. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, you know, Desert Storms right after that. Yeah. Bosnia's after that, and Somalia's after that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times, yeah, the guys in the rear echelons have to, you know, get their hands a little dirty. Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, you know, the the only reason that platoon survived is because those guys were getting up to cook breakfast, and he had his weapon with him in the. Uh, they had one of those little mobile kitchen trailers that they were. Uh, actually cooking hot meals out of and when those dudes started shooting up the tent they grabbed their stuff ran to the sound of the guns and burned those dudes down <laughs> don't mess with the supply guy before he's had his first cup of coffee that's right you listen the, to everybody well the, i mean the, the, that's the thing about the military the, you're a soldier marine first before you're anything else so yep. you know you may not get to practice it a lot but when it comes down to it you're, you're infantry. You're a grunt, just like any other, you know, full-time grunt when it comes down to it. So, 
You know, it's very easy for Uncle Sam to say, you know what, I understand that you sit in an office and do human resources all day, but we need guys on the line. Grab your shit. You're going the line. So it does happen. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as much as, you know, uh, you know, the different branches and the, the different uh, MOSs like to give each other crap and call each other pogues and whatnot, you know, when, when push comes to shove, you know, the, the dudes that saved the day weren't, weren't the guys that are, you know, the, uh, the door kickers. These were the guys that, uh, you know, were making your meals and, uh, you know, keeping, keeping your laundry going and, you know, replacing, uh, your supplies and whatnot. Yeah. And, and they took care of business. Yeah. So next time you go to turn in that gear and we tell you that it's uh, you know unserviceable, <laughs> don't don't start these ship. Oh, we're still gonna start shit. I mean, it's it's just. Uh, it. I was gonna say that's not gonna stop ever. But secretly, we'll I say. Actually, you know. I know. I don't know if I remember or stop me if I've already told this story. One of my favorite supply stories actually involves the MPs. Um, how much? How much did they steal? No, no, no. Well, they, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Uh, it was it was a barracks base. We were nowhere near any kind of front of any kind. There wasn't even a war going on at the time. This was after this is after Gulf One. There was nothing going on. It was a very very chill time to be in the military. Unless, unless you wanted to stay in because there was a drawdown. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what happened to me. I mean, my time in the military was not nearly as long as y'all's because again, didn't didn't get combat time in Desert One. And once that happens. Um, yeah, when Clinton comes in, the, the Marine Corps was being drawn from two hundred and seventy thousand to one hundred and eighty thousand in like four years. Uh huh. So never mind the golden handshake; they were giving you a bonus to leave. Right. <laughs> they were like, "Here, here's here's three thousand dollars if you don't reenlist. I get the I get the hell out of here," you know. Yeah, um, and, it, and it was an early out bonus at that. Yeah. Um, and again, if you hadn't, if you didn't actually come back from uh, from Kuwait with that little uh, that little brown ribbon, uh, you probably weren't going to have a choice in the matter. I mean, it was depending on your MOS. But anyway, um, yeah. You know, so we're all it was, it was a very chill time in the, in the service or whatever. You know, just you know, back in Paris Island, South Carolina, or whatever. Again, I was permanent personnel by this point. I wasn't going there for boot camp. And uh, headquarters and service battalion is. You know all of the usual, uh, you know, kind of units you see in HNS battalion. So the MPs were actually part of our battalion, so they fell under us as far as supply goes. And everyone likes giving the MPs a hard time because, let's face it, everyone who's not an MP hates the MPs because say, the only friends MPs have are other MPs. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the ones that give you a hard time when you're trying to get back on base, drunk yeah. off your ass, and you know, there's a reason why we're quartered separately. <laughs> Yeah. So they come in, a couple of MPs come in and we're like, Oh no, you know, here we go. And, uh, they say, we have to, we have, we have to fill out a D nine Z, a form Delta nine Zulu. And I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be awesome. So there's D nine a, which is a most miscellaneous, uh, the hell is it? It's a, it's a, it's a form that says uh, that you no longer have a certain item. It's some kind of a loss. You know, you transferred these, whatever, you know, the, these boots to another battalion. You transferred these, you know, whatever it is, this desk, this right. computer, this whatever. And it's like three or four different kinds. It's a transfer. It broke. It's no longer serviceable, whatever. D9Z is miscellaneous loss. We used to call them pawn shop receipts. Oh, yeah. You know, you sold this thing because you needed beer money, and now you say, my dog ate it, uh, you know, 
some random It got stolen out of my car. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy comes in and he's like, he's, he already knows he's in for it. He's like, oh, it's two of them. I'm like, yeah, we're so-and-so, so-and-so, Lance Corporal so-and-so, Sergeant so-and-so from, you know, from the MPs. And we have a D9Z. We have to fill out like, oh, this is going to be great. We're like already like rubbing our hands together, you know, time to rub the MPs over the coals. Oh, yeah. like, okay, D9Z, huh? Oh, I can't wait to hear this story. What happened? And he gets all sad and he lowers his head. He says, he died. I'm like, what the hell? And I look on the D9Z and it's like military work dog or something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, he technically counts as equipment. And I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry, dude. And now, now we're being real nice, you know, but. Yeah. For a second there, we're like, oh boy, the MPs are going to owe us a favor. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, so you're going to be able to mess with them because you lost this helmet or something. And yeah, yeah, the yeah the military's always had the had this weird thing about their this, uh, their livestock. Uh, you know, specifically these days, really, it's only working dogs. But I mean, back in the day, it was uh, you know the the horses and mules and whatnot. That's always been considered property. Yep. So that that's always been been kind of weird because like if something goes missing or like you could be charged for a, literally you could be charged for abusing an animal, but if you killed an animal, you didn't kill a person, you destroyed a piece of equipment. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, very like, weird. It's 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 not it's it's a it's a mindset. It's how the it's how the mill. They're literally. Yeah, they're, you're absolutely correct. They, it's, they're literally classified as equipment. This guy had to fill out a form, uh, the same D9Z form for a military police dog that just died, or as you know, like a friend, uh, a borderline. Well, not even not borderline, like an actual comrade. You know, these are uh, other you know living beings that work with you, or whatever. You know. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he doesn't fill out a death certificate. He fills out a D9Z. Same form he fills out when he backs over his radio in his driveway. You know, oh shit, I broke my radio. Or you know, yep. At the same time, the general has a dog that outranks me because he has a he's a freaking corporal and he actually has a he has an SRB. He's wearing the same ribbons I do, and I'm like, <laughs> he gets busted to Lance Corporal for peeing on the general's shoes. I'm like, you know what, Marine Corps? <laughs> Sometimes you take it a little too far. Well, you know. Oh crap! Well, it's just living up to that devil dog reputation. <laughs> yes. Oh, they're now available in miniature farm devil dogs. Yep. <laughs> now pick them up. <laughs> All the way back to tabletop gaming. Okay. Yep. Way to go, Segway. So, yeah, thanks for bringing us back around to uh, you know what it is we're supposed to be talking about. Tell a war story. All right. Uh, Gaz, any news or updates or anything from you? Um, I knew that was coming. Uh, uh, yes. There's a couple of little ones I'd like to throw out there. Please do, sir. Um, North Star military figures. Yeah. Uh, they've done some really nice stuff for sort of black powder, so muskets and tomahawks. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, they've done the eight War of the 1812, and they've got some lovely lovely British regulars, British Canadians, US regulars, US militia uh, that are worth a look at, especially if you're into that sort of period in 28 mil. Wait a minute. So they're doing the Battle of the War of 1812? They are indeed. Wow. I mean, that's one that does not get any love is the War of 1812, really. Um, 
I mean, how many people, you know, have actually played a game based upon the War of 1812? So that's that's good. I mean, you know, it just shows that there are companies out there willing to, I don't want to say take a risk, but expand people's horizons, if you will, uh, to, mm-hmm. you know, theaters of battle, conflict that aren't quote-unquote popular. Um, so, you know, for those people who are very open to doing new events or genres or, uh, you know, times of history, that's awesome. Um, because there are a lot of differences between 1812 and, you know, the American Revolution. So, you know, equipment oh, yeah. wise and uniforms and all that stuff. So, you know, it wasn't just, uh, we're using the same old stuff. So that's really good. I love the fact the, uh, the U.S. militia uh, are in top hats uh-huh. for the most yeah. part. They're, 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 they're Napoleon wannabes uh, is the American army and also, you know, militia in, uh, in 1812. It's one of those wars that everyone knows about. Literally everyone knows about it. If you sing the American national anthem, you know about the war of 1812, right. but nobody knows anything. Very few people know anything about, um, that you might've heard of the battle of new Orleans. Cause I think that's the one song. battle we actually won in that entire war. going to say <laughs> only because of the song. Yeah. Um, but if there isn't a song about it, or a uh, Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner movie about it. Uh, yeah, you know, no one really knows about it. Uh, it's kind of obscure. Um, again, uh, it's one of those wars that everyone says they won, everyone says they lost. So it's also very vague. It's not, it's very ambiguous. It's it's not like this clear cut and dry. It doesn't really have any like Normandy moments. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Uh, I've gained in the American, uh, in the war of 1812, but not for like 20 years, um, like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, and I play war games almost every week. So yeah, it's, it's not one that's, uh, there's a lot of grass on that field, you know, so to speak. Uh, just looking at their website, they're up to 12 products for that now, uh, which in sort of a, a bit of a collector's edition, um, officers, uh, regular sort of line infantry for the British Canadian, British Canadian militia, U.S. regular infantry officer, infantry regulars, U.S. militia, a couple of options on them, uh, Indian Sachem or Sachem, uh, some Indian warriors, uh, and then a, a bundle, basically a, a good sized bundle for British Army. So yeah, there's some, there's some jump off points there to, to get into the hobby as well as, uh, what is quite a robust muskets and tomahawks has, has been around for quite a while now yeah. in various forms. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very robust system if you're looking for rules. So, yeah, a bit of a nice one. And uh, continuing with the, the theme of uh, not often played periods, the War of the Triple Alliance from Perry Miniatures. So South America is, again, getting some love. Yeah, we were talking about this episode one time. That's... Uh... Yeah, one of the bloodiest later. battles ever to take place in the Western Hemisphere. That war was a freaking slaughter, man. Yeah, I think uh, it was only a, probably three or four months ago. I think Jim, we we brought it. Yeah, up we, we, we we touched on this one. I think when they released some earlier products in this line, and it was just interesting because, like like you say, it's one of those wars that um, you know people really should know a little bit more about. But uh, at least over here on this side of the world, because. Um, you know, it's 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 in our it's in our part of the. I mean, I don't want to say our part of the world because it's in South America, but it's you know it's over here on our side of the planet, you know, kind of thing. And outside of uh, like Manassas, Gettysburg, Antietam, um, 
it's it's rough, man. As far as you know, bloodiest wars or bloodiest battles here on on this side of uh, in in the Western Hemisphere, so to speak. Um, I can't remember what the what it, what it was. It, it's it slaughtered like fifty percent of the males, not the males of fighting age, not the military. Fifty percent of the male population of Paraguay uh, didn't make it through that. That country didn't recover for three or four generations. Um, they kind of started it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of their fault. Yeah, uh, the issue with facts. Yeah, they're, they're, they're leaders' fault anyway. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden Paraguay just said, you know what? I have a problem with the rest of South America. I'm taking on almost literally everybody. Um, that's where you get the name Triple Alliance. He took on, I think it was Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina. I'm probably getting the countries wrong, but they took on at least three other countries, like all at yeah. once. Yeah, Paraguay's one of the smaller countries down there anyway. And they just, for a while they were doing well. It was almost like, you know, the beginning of world war two, this, this little relatively small country kind of in the middle of everything says, you know what? Fuck everybody. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to invading everyone's land that touches mine. And it worked for a while. And then finally the rest of the continent kind of gets together and says, yeah, we've had enough of that. And yeah, once, uh, once they realize people, like, you're really doing this. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Hold on. I'm looking at the guys. Working. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> what was it they used to, uh, Eddie Izzard used to say about Stalin and Hitler? They're like, look, man, you know, you can kill all your own people you want. You start killing people in other countries. Well, after a couple of years, we're not going to put up with any more of that. You know? <laughs> That's right. When, 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 once you hit two or three million people, we're starting to talk about real numbers here. Yeah. I think it's one of the good things about the sort of the Perry miniatures haven't really strayed from their core, which is to do history. You know, they've not felt the need to transition into other areas, but rather than do that, have touched into time periods that are not as well represented. Mm -hmm. Just looking at their metal ranges here, we have the Cape Frontier Wars, Victoria's Little Wars, the Queen Victoria, World War II, Napoleonic, American War of Independence, American Civil War, British Intervention Forces, Crusades, War of the Roses, European Armies, the Sudan, Agincourt, the Carlist War, Samurai, Korean, um, English Civil War, War of the Triple Alliance, Mafia King. So they're, they're just really stayed yeah, in their lane. But when you go into each one of these, it's not just 12 sets of miniatures. It's, it's for, for example, the War of the Triple Alliance. The latest stuff out is more stuff being added. So there's artillery, there's cavalry, there's lancers, there's there's infantry, there's infantry stood shouldered arms, there's infantry on the charge, there's infantry aiming to fire for all three of these groups, and all of them are true to the period and lovely scopes in metal. So you know they 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 do such a good job and have stayed true to what they are, and I think that's why they're still going and still so strong. Yeah, there's there's something about South America. I don't really know what it is. But like, name your top three battles in in Asia. It's it's easy. Are your your favorite three battles in Asia? Name your favorite three battles in Africa. You can name El Alamein was in Africa. Rourke's Drift was in Africa. You know, I mean, goddamn Germany. I mean, or, uh, I should say Europe. You know, pick any country in Europe. You can name, you know, five battles that are your favorite. You know, pick 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 your your top five battles in South America. Go. <laughs> you know, I mean, even I can't really name five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, South America, man. And there's like Simon Bolivar's <laughs> wars before this Triple Alliance. There are some big wars that go on down there. Um, it's it, it just doesn't stick to the Velcro of history for some reason. I really don't know why that is. 
So, uh, especially in the 1800s, I mean, before America became such a dominant power in North America, that it, w- it wasn't clear whether North or South America was going to be sort of the center of gravity in the Western Hemisphere because there were a lot of people and a lot of money and a lot of really powerful countries. And, and you know, again, guys like Bolivar, some very powerful leaders down in, uh, down in South America. Uh, the 1800s in South America, there's the, the, there's the Pacific War. Yeah. And you immediately think, oh, that's Japan versus America. No, there's that, that's Chile versus uh, Ecuador in like this huge like Napoleonic uh, naval fleet battle that took place in like 17 or like 1852 or so. I can't remember the dates now, but there's a lot of wars down there that most even hardcore historians have never heard of. Um, so yeah, anything that expands, you know, people's knowledge or gaming, that's a huge unplowed sort of a field as far as, um, you know, uh, fertile ground for, uh, for war gaming, South America, anyone who's ever interested in doing something new, Oh God! It's Waterloo again! Yay! Gettysburg again! Yay! Oh yay! Normandy! I've only seen that nine million times. You know, South America, man. Trust me, there's a ton down there. I promise you, more than you think. So, yeah, um, I'd like to bring us back to modern to finish. Please do. Uh, that's uh, that's a, a particular favorite of many of our listeners. Uh, Empress Miniatures have just released some new VC heads. Uh, and I don't mean on spikes. Uh, they are, uh, well, if you got some toothpicks and a little well, wash. How about some ears? About are game. there ears? That would be in bad taste, shall we say. <laughs> Not that any of you lot are PC in any way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they've released a, a set of uh, alternate heads for the uh, the infantry uh, wearing the uh, traditional sort of Vietnamese sun hats, the, uh, the hats you would often see them in uh, cutting around instead of helmets. So actually it brings um, a really nice option for a number of their models because if you want your um, sort of frontline infantrymen to look a bit more rough and ready, a bit more militia, you could swap out the heads from helmets to these. If you want to uh, just have some civilians coming around, again, it just adds a very nice, easily identifiable um, visual for when you're tabletop gaming to say, yeah, there. They're the civilians on the battlefield. They're enemy forces. They're friendly forces. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really nice uh, small addition, really, that can change your game up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say when you say sun helmets, are you talking about like the almost British style or like African style pith helmets? No, the sun hats, the uh, sort of the straw hats. You know. Okay, the, okay, like like the rice paddy kind of hat, kind of. Yeah, thing. that's that's the one. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say yeah. Those other helmets were were mostly NBA, but yeah, the the hats you're talking about are totally. Uh, it's totally the kind of thing you're going to see with, you know, either NLF, Viet Cong, whatever term you want to use for them. Um, yeah, yeah the more allows you to South, forces, South, South you know, Vietnamese militia. Yeah, it allows you to mix forces on the board almost and understand at a glance what what the statistics are for, for each force. Uh, very nice. Going over this and and, and again, good-looking sculpts. Yeah, the old Op Center uh, episodes. Um, the the Vietnam, you know, we tend to think of them as oh, it's Charlie, you know, out out in the bush or whatever. There were several factions out there. They in a gaming situation, very different stats, very different command styles, very different orders of battle, and they did not get along. They did not get along. They never really fought each other. They allowed each other to be massacred many times. They did not like each other at all. The Viet Cong and the um, or what we would call the the Viet Cong and the NBA. Those aren't their real names, but for purposes of our little you know conversation here, 
Um, yeah, so any kind of a game company or any kind of miniature that allows you to be very specific and make sure that it's very clear, you know, which is which is, you know, definitely a good thing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, anything else, guys? Nope, that's it for the news. Uh, anything from the Martin? I'm sorry, guys, go ahead. So, I'm sorry. Sorry, personally, I've been, today I started building my Prusa 3D printer, uh, which has been uh, sat for a little while while I was willing to <laughs> <laughs> uh, and had time to. So I've had to spread it out a few days. It's a 137-page booklet to build it. Wow. Wow. Save 300 bucks. But I would say it's probably going to take me between sort of six and eight hours, uh, just taking my time, making double checking everything as I go, because uh, the last thing you want to do is get to the end and then find you built something wrong and it doesn't work and it's right. your fault and you reverse the process. <laughs> Where do these extra parts go? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's everything from electronics to just basic building, putting it together. Uh, I'm finding the instructions are really good. That the product is uh, very, very high quality, as is the packaging it came in. Everything is uh, got a uh, a lot of thought and putting into the process. So each bag here I have has a number on it that relates to what step in the book that, that those parts are for. As an example, everything's got its part number listed. Jim, you'd be very happy with the uh, it's everything's labeled. Everything's got small diagrams. Everything it, it would flick your switch, shall we say? Nice. Uh, you would uh, enjoy the uh, the process of how they've accounted for everything and made sure everything's correctly labelled and easy to identify. So hopefully I'm going to have that up and running sort of by the end of next weekend uh, so that I can sort of add to Chris's ever... Well, mine will be a small, small mound on my table and his will be a mountain somewhere in the Rockies of models produced. <laughs> Great. Um, and I've still got the gaming table to break open yet, um, which I'll hopefully do a video on when I get around to that. Awesome. Awesome. Marty, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. No worries. Uh, so uh, HMGS had their Cyber Wars uh, redo uh, this past weekend. So uh, I didn't watch any of it live, but I have been going through, uh, I think No Dice, No Glory has it on the, uh, has all like all the roundtable stuff uh-huh. uh, and interviews on their site. So I've uh, while I've been painting, I've been listening and watching the uh, that stuff. One of the things that I caught last night uh, that caught my eye uh, was an interview with uh, apparently everyone that works in Warlord games. It was a cast of thousands. <laughs> Literally, Warlord had like eight guys on there uh, over the course of three hours, uh, and uh, you know one of the one of one of the first things that they talked about that caught my eye was apparently they're working on a combined arms concept using bolt action, blood red skies and victory at sea in some sort of campaign system. What? So yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it looks like it's going to be uh, where we need, overarching... out, we need to reach out to those boys. Yeah. It looks like it's an overarching campaign uh-huh. where, where you can have uh uh, a land or, or uh, excuse me, a sea or air battle, and then focus down on the, the land battle using the various games, of course. Uh, so I, I thought that was that was really cool. Um, Blood Red Skies is coming out with a Midway expansion. 
So uh, that uh, they thought would be their guess was around Easter, uh-huh. you know, g- give it, given the current environment, you know, give or take nothing's written in stone there. Uh, you know, Gaz, I know you, uh, you've done some blood red sky stuff. If you're, uh, if you're into their planes, uh, there's a new Italian faction and, and I do mean faction coming out in mass. Uh, they've wow. got five planes and aces coming out, uh, in an expansion pack, including, uh, uh, their SM-79, the big three-engine bomber, uh, and then the rest are uh, several single-engine fighters. Uh, they didn't list by name, uh, but they, they've they also included cards in their expansion pack for six other planes. Again, they didn't mention exactly what they were, uh, that they're not producing, but they're all available via STL for 3D printing. Oh, so. Okay. Even even though they're not going to produce those particular models, they made cards for them. So that I thought that was interesting. That's kind of cool. And then yeah, uh, there's uh, there's quite a large community for um, there's blood blood red skies ready room for people that are looking for a community for that yeah. on Facebook. And a lot of their guys are so uh, embedded in the game that they often produce cards for non-existent aircraft that were in the war. Yeah, so well, you and see that they're sort of heading that off to keep the game balanced. I was going to say, and you know, and this isn't, uh, this isn't community generated cards uh, like you see in the ready room, although those are cool. I mean, it expands your stuff, but I mean, this is coming from Warlord. They're just not going to produce the models for them. Yeah. You know, you could also proxy in something, uh, I would imagine, if you wanted to, to use those. Uh, they're also, uh, they said they're making a Heinkel three for the Germans and, uh, a VTOL for the British. Uh, again, no exact release date on that, but those were all in the works. So I thought I would share that cause that, that kind of, uh, uh, piqued my curiosity last night. I was listening to it while I was painting and I'm like, cool, that's interesting. The combined arms concept. Uh, of using those three games together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how that works. I, I currently don't play any of those games, but the fact that they, they think they can Frankenstein them together in some sort of cohesive way, I find very interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, we'll definitely have to reach out to them. Um, yeah. So we need to reach out to the HM and HMGS guys. Um, because it'll be interesting to see if they do their um, spring convention, Little Wars. Because um, we definitely yeah, want to yeah, support it, them if we can. Yeah, Who there's knows? been no, there, there's been no decision made on that, uh, as far as I know. But you yeah. also can't buy tickets for it yet. Yeah. So, I, I, I think that's kind of uh, up in the air. I suspect. There's it's a lot not going to happen. Uh, I can tell you yeah. right now, um, you know, Dawn and I have been associated with Adepticon uh, for the last few years. Uh, it started out as just, you know, we were covering it for Beast of War slash on tabletop. And then the last few years, we were kind of on the board uh, doing media stuff, um, you know, again, through on tabletop. But it was, you know, we were invited to the board meetings to, you know, to coordinate stuff. And this year, sure. I haven't seen or heard anything of far is. Adepticon for next yeah. year. So. so Firelock Games, uh, Mike Cunez and uh, oh, uh, Rufus were were another one of the guys that uh, weren't interviewed. 
and they were actually talking uh, for a while about uh, about conventions and how that messed up their rollout of uh, Oak and Iron and uh, Blood and Valor. And one of the things that they had talked about was really wanting to do Adepticon, and, and they were like, "I don't know, I haven't heard, I haven't heard yet." You know, because they're they're one of the the vendors that uh, when it got canceled last year, they just left everything that they'd already paid as a deposit for 2021 and we're hedging their bets that they were still going to be able to do it. Yeah. I can give you an update as far as Adepticon 2021. I can't go into detail because it is a private group, but I can say they're working on coordination with uh, all the parties involved and the state of Illinois because due to restrictions. So um, we're waiting on further at this time. There just isn't going to be a lot of movement at this time. So, Uh, well, and I, and I think all of the, you know, all, all of the spring cons uh, are in the, the same boat pretty much. Yeah. So, and Although, you know, so it'll be interesting to see. I can tell you when this crap is over, hopefully sooner than later, whatever conventions have their first real life event is going to be a humdinger. That's all I'm going to put about that. Oh. People are going to be going ape shit because, you can know, you imagine if, if Gen Con goes off, what that's going to look like. Mm hmm. I mean, they'll, they'll have 300,000 people there. It'll be out of control. Yep. But Did you guys yeah, ever yeah. had a chance to try um, Blood and Valor? I have not. No. Mm-mm. It has got, I mean, I only played a couple turns um, mm-hmm. at Historicon 2019 uh, with uh, Rufus. Um, but I'll say this much. That game has one of the most innovative initiative systems I've seen in a while. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the initiative system in particular is almost like your usual, um, you know, uh, it's not just roll a dice and whoever rolls higher gets to go first. It's not draw a dice out of a bag, like uh, bolt action. It's this weird kind of combination of some of these, uh, mechanics. Um, uh-huh. also with a, uh, almost like a blind bid kind of a system. And yep. like you have, you have a certain amount of phases in the game and you roll initiative for each phase, not for each turn. And, uh, you have a certain amount of like command points and you can like add those command points to your role or whatever. I can't, I can't remember if there's a role or not, but you can add, you can like bid points. Like, okay, yeah. it's okay. If I don't move first, it's okay. If I don't, to my supply or my command first, I have to fire first this turn, you know? And at the same time, you know how many points your opponent has and, you know, he's already, he only has nine and he's already bet six of them. Well, you know, I know if I bet at least four, I know I'm going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever next phase is coming up, if you've got four points left, of course that's four points you don't get to spend for the next phase. It's, 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 it's neat. I just, I just yeah. thought I was just really struck by its initiative system in particular. It was actually pretty cool. Damn yeah. Rupert was talking about that. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, he said, you know, one of the, one of the techniques, uh, you know, for that game is, you know, if you're playing, uh, a Russian army in, uh, blood and valor, for instance, uh, they, the troops are very hardy. They can, you know, they can take a beating, but there's like no command points for them. So you, you, you know, if you really need to shoot first, you, you have to think long and hard about it. But the good news is even if, even if you don't have the initiative, uh, you know, in following turns, those guys can take the beatings. You know, they're not, they're definitely not made out of glass. 
Hmm. Russians, I find in almost any setting, Napoleonic, World War One, World War Two, are a very forgiving army to play. Like I usually say, look, I know they're not, they don't have the cool tanks or whatever, uh, like in Panzer Leader or Panzer Blitz. New players, try the Russians a couple times. You know, you can lose half your army and still win. In fact, you probably will lose half your army. Um, the Russians are very spongy. They're very forgiving as far as an army goes. So, 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 Jim, would you say Blood and Valor is uh, is a game we should add to the library? Um, I've only, like I said, I only played a couple turns on it. I just remember I was, I was very impressed with the, with the initiative system. Uh, it was like a, it was like literally like an 18 inch by 18 inch mini table, like for a camera demo, um, at Historicon 2019. So I don't own the, the whole rule book or whatever. I'm sure it's great. It's, you know, Firelaw games, certainly. Uh, I just remember, you know, I was really kind of like, whoa, check out this initiative system. That's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I know. The reason I ask is I know that there is, uh, or at least there was a, a week ago, a copy at my friendly local game store, and and I might have a couple of dollars left in the hobby. Might box. as well go ahead and pick oh. it up, Marty. <laughs> Just saying, because that's what I need to do is paint some more dudes. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, it's a low model count. You know. It's, it yeah, it's, it's a very game. low. It's a very very low uh, echelon kind of a game. It's you know you know it's like squad versus squad. Um. The two salient points, I, again, I, I, I don't want to not recommend it, but I don't want to, like, give it a – because before I, like, recommend the game, especially on a public platform like this, I mean, hundreds of people are eventually going to hear this. Um, I like to say at least I've played the game, like, for real, or I own the game, or I've read the rules. I've done none of those things. I just remember, number one, the initiative system, and number two, they are – they made it a point to uh, not include just the classic 1916, 17 – uh, trench uh, kind of a mechanic, uh, trench kind of scenarios. Um, we actually did this once on you know the old on tabletop, like top five uh, for one of the Centennial series, like in 2018. Top yeah. five tips for gaming World War One, and the very first tip was get out of the goddamn trench. You know, not all of World War One was trench warfare. In fact, not much of it was. It's the part that everyone remembers, but it's. 1914, there was practically no trench warfare. 1918, there wasn't a lot of trench warfare. Um, so, you know, go to other periods of the war, the very beginning, the very end. Um, if you're a Napoleonics player, stick with 1914. You're going to be surprised by how much stuff looks awfully familiar. Right. If you're a World War II player, stick with tw- uh, 1918. Again, you're going to be surprised with what looks familiar there. Um, and that's only the Western Front. There was no trench warfare in, in, in the East. You know, and like, just like World War II, most of the war took place in the East. Uh, the Russians, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, um, you know, the Germans out there in huge battles. And it was just, I mean, good grief, man. It's, the battlefield is, you know, 1,500 miles wide. There's no way you're going to be able to, you know, establish a trench line like we, like, like they did in the West, all the way from the Channel down to the Swiss border. Um, Middle East, um, you know, Africa, uh, the Pacific, I mean, World War One. It was they called it World War One for a reason. You know, it was all over the place. So, from what I understand, Blood and Valor does include a lot of these other uh, either periods or um, situations or you know settings. So you're not just stuck in the in the uh, you know the mud of the trenches. And again, their initiative system, you know, seemed really cool. Those are the two things. Uh, well, I think I can they- say for sure about Blood and Valor. I, th- I think based on your comment, it merits uh, further investigation on my part, at least. Yeah, so I will, sure. I will, I will check it out more because the you know I've heard of the game, but uh, you know I've never 
seriously considered it or, or you know. Again, I don't think it gets the attention it. it deserves. Um, but well, World War One in general has a bad rap. Yeah. Um, they think of the people think of World War One. They think trenches. Oh, oh! I line up my army on one side of the table. I march forward. Your machine guns kill all my guys. Oh, well, that was fun. <laughs> uh, you want to play again? You know, it's it's not like that. Yeah. Um, that's World War One done badly. Um, there's a lot of lot of little things. You know. Uh, the American Revolution. Oh, the British line up in big red blinds. The Americans snipe at them from behind trees. No, not really. Well, the Pacific, they did in our game. <laughs> <laughs> Except the British won that game. The, the, uh, the biggest British. line ever. <laughs> we like to queue. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> we just I mean, they, they left when somebody started shooting. Us, they, they were shoulder to shoulder for a mile, right? It was Jim's cookout story. Three thousand Marines at the cookout. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was redcoats back in the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the three pieces of circumstantial evidence. As far like, again, I don't own the game. I've never played it. Really, I don't have the book. I don't. I've never read the book. But number one. We know the people, and we know they've come out with other games that we have played and we have enjoyed. Number two, the initiative system's awesome. Number three, they made a damn point to not fall into that World War One stereotype. Well, I think it uh, it merits uh, further investigation. It does, and I'm going to yeah. order the rule book myself right now. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Cool. Well, as talking about future purchases, then uh, I just literally got a message while we've been on air from uh, Wild Buildings, who recently did uh, just finished a Kickstarter today, which was another success. But uh, Bill, you and I got in on the Vietnam terrain version. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yes. So they do some. He does some lovely work. Uh, he's just announced what he's going to be doing next, and I thought I would bring it specifically to Bill's attention. Uh, in February 2021. His next project will be Wild West and American Civil War. There you go. Wait a minute. Right. Doesn't he have a Kickstarter going right now? It is literally just finished today. Did I uh, back that uh, one? I don't did remember you? if I backed oh, that you? one. Hold on a minute. Oh, that had some stunning. So, guys, if you haven't checked it out, it's an STL file site. Uh, he does some lovely work. Uh, it's called WOW Buildings, Wild Buildings. You can find him on Facebook, and he has on a good website set up as well. The most recent one, which I went in on, uh, he basically has done underground trains, so you can play the metro level in modern, where terrorists have took over. The, he did the trains, the carriages, the underground, Wait, the, what? The, the kiosks yep. that you need to go through, so you can build almost a subterranean board for doing moderns and have people on Overwatch, they're terrorists, and a crowd in an area, so... So yeah, I'm hoping to uh, print off some of that one to get this printer built up and running and uh, get some uh, different battle space done, maybe with SWAT, you know, or, right. or some some other elements where it's uh, it's a uh, you know on home ground, be it yeah. the London Underground or the US Tube system. Yeah, yeah, uh, you could do do gangland style games. It's, it's so many options. I mean, even you can even take out the bracket into you know post-apocalyptic if yeah, you wanted to right? go anywhere yeah. with it. Uh, that is, you know, somewhere that has a, an underground railway in that sense. But yeah, they yeah. did. Uh, they did a lot of really cool stuff in this one. I mean, you can always buy the stuff after. And the mm -hmm. good thing is, if you've missed a previous Kickstarter that just happened to have a lot of stuff in it that you wanted. On the future pledges, a Kickstarter, you can pledge for old Kickstarters. Yep. You get access to the whole package. Yep. So 
So I think you can do that for up to two. I think I think on this one it, for, it was. It was up to was two about, on this one. I'm just looking at it, and I I yeah. looked at it, and I never pledged on it, which I'm not really worried about because I just have all the Vietnam stuff. I haven't even started looking at. Um, yeah. But, you know, this with this next project, I'll catch up. He did do the streets from Saving Private Ryan in this one. Yeah. Yeah, so did. you've got the entire fight over the bridge and the buildings uh, for the Saving Private Ryan scenes if you wanted a, a centerpiece for a diorama board for yeah. an event. Yep. Wow. So, yeah, I got to get the printers up and going. Marty, got to get that printer up I gave you. Uh, we got some stuff to print, Bob. Yeah, I got the. Yeah, so as it turns out, the printer's smarter than I am. The, the <laughs> printer's up and running, but... Me trying to get STL files to uh, do what they're supposed to do has been a challenge. And I'm pretty sure it's my fault, not, <laughs> not the printer's fault. So, uh, so I've been, you know, happy time for, for Marty. Uh-huh. Um, as you know, I, I, I got uh, a couple of starter sets for Blood and Plunder and, the, and uh, that Bark. So yeah. the Bark is done. I have finished the French starter set and then I have private uh, pirates and privateer starter set as well to go with them. So uh-huh. I figure if I got a boat, I got to flesh this thing out and there's a bunch of good sailors in there. Yeah. I'm trying to get that off my paint desk. So I, once I get that stuff done, so basically I got 25 more dudes out of the uh, pirates and privateers starter set to do. Once I get that off my desk, I'm pretty clear. And then I can focus on trying to figure out how, cause there's I downloaded a ton of terrain and stuff off of like Thingiverse and uh, my Mini Maker and whatnot. Uh-huh. And I, I've just not figured out <laughs> how to make a print. Seriously, so, that's like the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. I'm uh, gonna have well, to come over and show you. I, it turns out uh, again, I'm not that I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm just a painting monkey, <laughs> and I don't paint that fast. So. I got that going for me, but yeah, uh, uh, I am uh, wholeheartedly looking forward to uh, cranking some stuff out once uh, once I get myself sorted out here. All right. Well, we'll get you up and running. We'll get it up and running. Yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem. But yeah, that's all the that's all the news on. Uh, Happy stuff I got going on. Excellent. Oh, one one other thing. I uh, I did the. This is my daughter crashing on the stairway. Oh, that's my wife. Hold on. Should I be laughing? Maybe not. Yeah, laugh only. It's only Mark. It was funny at the time. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, don't laugh. She's got a broken foot right now. Oh dear. So she's in a, it, in a walking boot. A new broken. Who's got foot? a broken foot? <laughs> Donna. You pushed her down the stairs? I did not push her down the stairs. <laughs> Was it a misery moment with a sledgehammer and a wooden block? Thank you. Jesus H. All so, right. Yeah, she yeah, she has a she has a stress fracture, so she's uh got a got one like a little mini soft cast on and and the walking boot on over that, which is uh currently kicking her ass. Okay, James. But, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Mark. Oh, oh. But, uh, I just wanted to add in. I yeah. don't remember if I said this last time. So uh, we were looking at doing uh, uh, some Western stuff, uh-huh. and and I 
built the uh, the Desperado starter set. So mm-hmm. Cowtown is built, as well as all of the characters that came in there are painted and done and ready oh, to go. So, go. so we've got some basic Western stuff uh, ready to use whenever we get to that point. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to have to work on it. Since you got it done, we're going to have to get – I better get my ass in gear, I guess. Man, yeah. Yeah. I am slacking. I'm sorry, James. What do you got going on in the world of wargaming? Um, well, we've been uh, adapting the the um, sorry. I'll try that again. We've been adapting the system that we developed for 13 days to 13 hours mm-hmm. the transit game uh, into some other settings. Very very um, popular. It seemed, yeah, it seemed a shame to uh, put all that work into it and to kind of basically build the system and uh, really use it only once. Mm-hmm. So we've been clowning around with trying it in other settings. Um, we've had like 90% results. It's not perfect because um, that game was built for a very, very specific incident. And when you, when you take it out to other, other uh, battles and other skirmishers or whatever, it's, it's, you know, it's not that anything's wrong. It's like, oh, we didn't make up a rule for that. There were no smoke grenades in Benghazi, so we didn't make up rules for smoke grenades. We didn't make up rules for mortars or yeah. light armored vehicles or things like that. So it's not perfect yet, but so far we've had pretty good success in a cartel game in 1993 and a British um, uh, SAS uh, attack in um, North Baghdad in 2005, uh, specifically late January, early February 2005. There were some very serious uh, 22nd SAS regiment battles. Uh, in the northern part of uh, Baghdad. We've been doing well with that. Uh, we dusted off Naval Command recently. Uh, Bill, you pretty much sank half the Iranian Navy Woo-hoo! in like two hours. That, that was pretty cool. Um, and I've been buying some miniatures, actually quite a few, because I finally kind of got Uh-oh. my pile of shame cleaned out. Nice. Buying a bunch of more miniatures. Um, they're kind of already mostly done. Um, they're very specific chosen miniatures for the next one and actually the next two series of the op center, um, which is now in pre-production. We're now, we're now writing scripts for the next series of op centers. Uh, can't really say what they're going to be yet because I don't want to promise anything, but we do have two series, two more four parts, four part series, at least on the drawing board. One of them has actually started. Um, and as far as the miniatures that were bought for those, they were uh, T-55s. I know that doesn't narrow it down much, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's T-55s. Cool. Um, but it, yeah, we're, we're definitely sticking with some with some more modern material for our next couple ops in our series. Nice. So, you know, that's, I mean, it's, it's going to be a while, because again, I'm going to make these in four episode blocks. They take at least two weeks per episode. Um, and the holidays are coming up, so, you know. It's going to be a little bit of a delay there, but uh, yeah, they are started and they are on the way. Excellente. That's a good teaser. That's a good teaser. Uh, I think I'll round it up as we close out the show. Uh, as we hit the two hour mark, boy, this show went quick. Um, so I'm just getting reorganized back in. Um, I'm looking at adding a couple more resin 3d printers so I can start printing up terrain quickly because i noticed how many files i have for terrain and things um because you know i started working on the the uh, north hag stuff and i want to print up some buildings and things to create a board so we can do some play um so that's what i've been working on and uh i get this stuff um going here 
I might have to go to Texas for four weeks. I don't know yet. I'll know later this week. Um, doing some contract work, um, so I might have to travel to Texas for four weeks. Um, so we'll see. Uh, this is a weird, weird time people were in, this whole COVID thing. You know, it's really affected a lot of people and those of us in the medical field. Um, it's created a lot of opportunities, um, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, there's a, some travel involved in some of these opportunities, so I might be t- traveling to Texas. We'll see. I'll, hopefully I'll know more this week. Um, other than that, you know, like I said, we worked on the radio station. I just talked to the guy from, oh, I am can't believe I forgot. I literally was just talking to him on Facebook. Uh, who was I talking to? Uh, Quartermaster 3D, the guy we were talking about, those USMC guys. Um, and he's very interested, and um, maybe we can get him on the show. Also, for anybody out there who um, is interested in getting some people out here um, to do you know, an interview on the radio, on the radio station, uh, an interview on the podcast, or even on the radio station, we can always broadcast it later, um, let us know. So, you know, like this gentleman on Quartermaster 3D, hopefully we'll get Alex back on from Full Battle Rattle. He's always a good one. Um, I and Marty, I know you talked to um, – Oh, who did you talk to about coming on the show? Um, uh, Bonza Games. Yes. Uh, they they had uh, reached out and uh, had wanted to talk about their uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Or uh, uh, I was going to say Zero Dark Thirty. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, why am I drawing a blank on their game? Uh, crap! They just came out with an expansion. Uh, Me too. Suck. Yeah, I know. Delta One Zero. I got put on the spot. Delta One Zero is their is their game, uh, which, which by the way looks pretty pretty cool. The uh, but it's an expansion that came out, and I don't have the base set, so I have yeah. not played it. But I would. Uh, uh, I can't find it locally retail, yeah. so All we'll right. have to. Well, it's good. I may talk, have Martin. to order that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I know Joe Veltri. Did we get him on? Boy, I am really drawing blanks. We 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 have not. Although he was talking some smack on the Facebook page the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some stuff to go on, and you know we still have to get the Spectre guys. Speaking of Spectre, I was just on their page, and somebody is copying my idea again. Somebody is building an oil rig for a, a scenario, and I'm like, seriously. You know, but it's my fault because I never followed through on my idea. Well, we did have a little wrinkle this year, unfortunately. Um, my good friend Walt passed away in January of last year. So he was my project, yeah. you know, designer on that. You know, we were working on that together. So, um, but yeah, it's it's nice to see other people picking up on some of the same ideas I had. You know, the ship raid um, and now the oil rig. So it's good too. 2020 has been a tough year. All in all, but yep. hopefully, you know, 21 will be better. And, you know, if you haven't already heard, uh, we did uh, cancel the gaming weekend. Um, I did submit refunds to those who had already prepaid, so they should have gotten it. If you had not for some reason, let me know. But as the last time I logged in to PayPal, it says all refunds have been processed. Um, other than that, um, guys, be on the lookout for other programming i'm not sure if we have anything for tuesday as of right now uh gaz i know you've been real busy i don't think you have a paint a brewing view do you at this point um 
I'm thinking to save time, I might just do a live painting session. Oh, nice. Okay. That's like, a, those are like the good. old days. Okay. If I can remember how to set it all up. <laughs> <laughs> Getting old. I might have to yeah. do a dry run. If suddenly you see this week a, a, a video came on for seven seconds and disappeared, that might be me doing, a, a, yeah. on, uh, doing the recon again. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Got to do the test fire. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I think um, while I'm really short on time and works, it's yeah. a bit silly. Yeah, no it's easier problem. for me just to come online, do a session, chat with people than it is to put 10 or 12 hours into a pre-recorded 20-minute episode. And then uh, Thursday, the general show, I am going to try – I'm supposed to be back from Miami. I'm flying out to Miami Wednesday morning uh, to go down to the Keys to secure stuff from the Storm Etta um, and then fly back that evening. Uh, unless things change, but um, Thursday I should be at the home studio with Marty. If if everything's yep. uh, good, if you know no one's got as long any as you're back, I'll be there. Um, so we'll get the studio up and running, and we'll do some programming from the studio. Um, and then t- to rate later today, I'm going to be doing some uh, streaming, uh, giving Jim a well deserved break. Um, hopefully you've rested up a little bit and. Um, We'll go from there. Um, so to everybody out there, we thank you for supporting the podcast um, in all our many formats. And uh, for the rest of the command team, this is Bill, and I want to say thank you. And to all our veterans, uh, thank you. And, you know, uh, we appreciate everything you've done to sacrifice for the protection of the people of your respective countries. And until the next time we see you, uh, this is the Sit Rep Podcast signing off.